Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. The passage just read and the phrase that occurs in verse number three, do you want to be unafraid? That's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. Do you want to be unafraid? Now, I know what being afraid is about, and so do you. When you were young, did you have situations where in the nighttime, in the dark, in your room, you thought you saw something or heard something or felt something and you were afraid? Have you ever been on a trip and you took a wrong turn and you ended up in a place that you did not know or plan to be and now you're afraid? Or maybe you had that age-old thing that happened when your father gets home, you are in trouble and you were afraid. Spiritually, I get it when somebody says, I'm afraid of God. I mean, the Bible talks about hell more than it talks about heaven. And if a person is not afraid of hell, I don't understand it. I had an encounter in my first work as youth minister with the father of one of our teens, well, two of our teens, girls. He was an assistant principal at high school. And this would have been back in the early 80s, and which was a little more shocking then than now. He let it be known that he was leaving his wife for another man. That's pretty shocking back then. Still is, but then, really so. So I went to see him. They were members where I was working. And I said to him, his name was Harry. Harry, if you died right now, given what you have decided to do, where will you be? He said, I'll be in hell. I said, Harry, you don't really believe that. Because if you believe that, and you really understood what hell was like, you wouldn't just say that so casually. You might break down in tears. You might fall apart right here. Because you're caught in a web that you can't get out of. But you wouldn't just tell me so confidently, oh, I'll be in hell, no big deal. So if I'm not afraid of hell, there's something wrong with me. And if I'm afraid of hell, then I understand it when somebody says, oh, and I'm afraid of God. 
God wants us to fear him. He began in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12 when he gave his law to his people. He he wrote, what does God require of you? But to love God, to walk in all his ways, and to fear him. Joshua, when he brought them into the promised land in chapter 4, he wrote, Why did God do all of these things? Why are we destroying the people of this land? Because, chapter 4, verse 24, God wants all the earth to know that he is God. And he wants you to fear him for your whole life. The wise man Advising his son in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7. Do not be wise in your own mind, but fear God and depart from evil. When he closed out the writings of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. Jesus made it clear that He believed we ought to follow the same concept. Matthew 10 and verse 28. Do not fear Him who can destroy your body, but fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In 1 Peter 1 and 17, as Austin preached this morning, Peter told his readers, you conduct yourself here during this time in fear. Now here's where we are. God wants us to fear him, but none of us wants to be afraid. So we need to think about these two things. How do we know to fear God, but then not live being afraid of Him? Let's begin with this idea. If you're turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, and... Verse number 20. Paul is writing to this Jewish and Gentile audience. And in chapter 11, he is writing these words. He's using the figure of a tree that has been planted and has grown. And you cut off one of the branches and you, or cut a place in, a, in the tree, and you insert or graft in another limb or another tree. God set in motion the faithful people, but He carved out some of them 
because the Jews were taken off into Assyrian captivity. The rest of them went off to Babylon and came back 70 years later. But now, grafted into this tree of the remnant, Paul says God has grafted in the Gentiles. Look at verse 20. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Yes, Gentiles, you've been grafted in. God had a special place for those Jews. Now he's cut off them as special and he's grafted you in to be one of those people. But he says what? Don't be haughty, but rather fear. I want to use this as a springboard to talk about the difference between fear and afraid. Paul said, don't be haughty or don't be high-minded. Maybe we don't use that term much, but some. What does it mean to be high-minded? Well, we may not be able to see a high mind, but we can see somebody who we think might have one because we say, you are snooty. You have your nose up in the air. Physically, you are high-minded because you're trying to look down on everybody else. That's what this idea is. This idea is you are called haughty or you are called high-minded, but rather you should fear. Doesn't that say something right there? Can a person fear God? Who is high-minded? Apparently not. So all of those statements that God has given from himself and the mouths of those who spoke for him, all of them would say, you can't be one who fears God if you are high-minded. And if I want to fear God without being afraid, maybe there's something here we need to hang on to. I looked up that word, high-minded. It's not used a lot in Scripture, but I found three things that might help us understand what being high-minded is. On one occasion, Jesus was talking to the leaders of the Jewish people. And in talking to them, he said, You are those who justify yourselves before men and are not humble. 
Luke 16, verse 15. You justify yourselves. It makes you high-minded. In Acts 13 and verse 17, there is a recounting of the history of the Jewish people. And in verse 17, he talks about how God brought his people out of Egypt and he conquered them. And with power, Scripture says, and he brought them out with an upraised hand or an outstretched arm. That's the same word. God brought them out in a high-minded way. But of course, God does look down because He is the highest. What did he do? He showed his power. When we finish preschool every Thursday, one of the things that the kids love to do, and even the ones who've been through preschool and are older now, they remember it and they enjoyed it. In order to have a song time together, I moved this table over there. And when we finish, one of the classes gets to help me bring it back over here. Whoa, that's a big deal. And when we start, I'll say, are you strong? Show me your muscles. What do you do? That's exactly right, Bob. Right there. That's it. That's what God is saying. God said, I told the Egyptians, look here, you want to see my muscles? Number three, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, Paul said, do not be wise in your own opinion. Don't be high-minded. Now, what I find out about high-mindedness then, high-mindedness in the sight of God is someone who tries to justify himself by showing his own strength through his own opinions. And that's haughtiness. And that is not fearing God. And what I would suggest to you, haughtiness, high-mindedness leads to being afraid. Humility leads to fear. So my question that I want us to consider and you can be looking at the passage read in Romans 13, is to ask the question, how can I be unafraid?
there's not a person in this room nor a person who is online live or who will see this later likely who is one who wants to be afraid of God. I don't want to live my life afraid of God. I want to fear God, but I don't want to be afraid of Him. I think it is the case. We've talked about it in our Wednesday night class with young adults. As we talked about our own conversions and what brought us to that point, it is likely that most every single person who comes to the Lord begins with the idea of wanting to make sure that I don't go to hell. And that's okay. Later on in life, someone might think, well, wait a minute. My conversion surely wasn't right because it wasn't because I had this love of God that drove me. Rather, I just didn't want to go to hell. Well, that doesn't invalidate one's conversion. If Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven, there must have been a reason for it. And the reason is that sometimes being afraid is a good motivator. It's a good way to start. I heard an interview of someone who worked all of the time with lions, training and working with them. And the question was asked, did you ever get to the point where you were not afraid of them? He goes, oh, no. But I didn't let it control me. He respected them. He understood what they could do. But there was always this sense that says something bad could happen. And with God, the difference is, do I want to live every day of my life scared to death of what God might do to me? I don't. I don't think you do either. And yet we cannot deny that in fear there is a bit of being afraid. But it's not the afraidness That rules. It's the afraidness that drives me to respect and to fear God. But when I fear Him properly, I won't be managed by the afraidness of Him. So if you don't want to be afraid every day, if you want to move toward just the confidence and the assurance that God says, here's what I have for you. Trust me, respect me, but not be controlled by being afraid of him. Notice what Paul says in this text of Romans 13. 
These few thoughts, I think, can help. Now, it might sound strange to use this passage because he's talking about how Christians should respond to the government. But I would suggest to you that the principles that guide Christians to deal with their government are the same principles that will help us fear God without being afraid of Him. Notice, number one, learn to be submissive. Austin talked about it a little bit this morning. We could spend probably an entire Bible class quarter talking about the concept of submission. It's the primary motivating factor that will help us stay in line in every aspect of life. It's the thing that produced the first sin, a lack of submission. Basically, Eve said, I know he said, but. We need to be understanding of what it means to be submissive. It means that I don't have my own control over me. I don't get to say anything I want to say and that be the truth. I am submissive to God. Submission does not in any way imply... Inequality. It doesn't imply criticism. It doesn't imply a lack of talent. It's merely a concept that guides all of God's creation. Everything and everyone that God created is submissive to Him. They may not like it, but in the end they will be. Because everything is going to be burned up. And then eternity will only exist in heaven and hell. That's it. Everything will have been submitted to him. Therefore, why not be submissive now? And if I can learn to be submissive to God, then I am on the way to living in fear, not in afraid. Number two, do not resist. Resistance is, it's, when a person is not submissive, resistance is the first thing that happens. It's the pushback. Or it's the pull toward. Resistance training for weights doesn't involve all the time, weight, sometimes it's elastic bands that you just pull and you strengthen. But all of weight training is resistance. It's moving something, and the more weight you add and move, the resistance creates the strength. But the resistance that comes from not being submissive only grows to strengthen your lack of submission. Don't resist. 
Don't fight back. The more you resist God, the more strengthened you become to resist him the second time and the third time and the fourth time. Just don't fight back. And if you don't fight God, if you don't always begin with a fist that says, why, God? Then you're going to live in fear, not in afraid. Number three, verse four or verse three, do what is good. Just do good. I know that's so simple. You don't have to say it. Just do good. Now, I don't know that it can be said that every time governments have existed that people who do good are never punished. Well, that's crazy because that happens. He's not saying that all governments will be fine to people who only do good. No, because they are evil governments who end up fighting good on behalf of evil. But the concept is that a good government will respect and be appreciative of people who do good. So do good. It's so simple and trite almost to say, the only time we are afraid of God is when we do something bad, right? When we're up here in two weeks and we're building these food boxes for the people who need them, that's a holy spiritual situation that we're helping. It's a benevolent outreach. It's a ministry. But I doubt that anybody is doing a box and thinking, I wonder if God's going to strike me dead right now. Nobody. We're not thinking about what God might do to us while we're involved in this spiritual activity. It's only at other times when we are moving off into territory that we know is not good, then we become afraid. The truth of the matter is, the answer how not to be afraid, just don't do anything bad. If you never do anything bad, you're never going to be afraid. Because you're always doing good. I know we are afraid because we don't always do good. But that reminds us how to avoid being afraid. But in doing good, we're actually living in fear. Verse 5, have a good conscience. The worst part about your past, the worst part about my past are the things that I know and the things that you know that you've done, said, or thought that are wrong and you can't get away from them. 
That's the worst thing about our past. We all want to get over that. We want to forget about it. We want to move on, and we should. And we're not ever going to be able to forget, but we can keep it from managing us. It's still the past. It doesn't have to be the present. And my conscience is such that I don't like it when I do something wrong. Do you? Have you ever had the thought after being in the wrong, the next time you pass a mirror, you say, ooh, I don't like looking at you. Because that's what a conscience that's been harmed will do to you. You want to live in fear without being afraid? Work on having a good conscience. Finally, verse 7. Give what is due. Honor God. If you don't want to live being afraid, but you want to fear, then you give God what is due Him. I'll tell you what's due Him, worship. People who don't worship God, Christians, I'm talking about Christians, I'm not talking about the world, Christians who don't worship God, they have a reason to be afraid. Because they're not giving him what is due. Just like people who don't pay taxes, if they're afraid that the IRS is going to come down on them, then yeah, I get why you are, because you didn't pay your taxes. And that's why he uses that analogy. Therefore, give God his due. He deserves worship. He deserves service. Austin talked about investment and involvement. That's what he deserves. And if I am invested and involved in the moments in which I am, I'm not thinking about being afraid. In those moments of spiritual high, like a men's retreat, like a woman's fellowship, like a Bible class, like a Bible study one-on-one -on -one with somebody, like your own personal study, just reading Scripture and praying, are you at that moment thinking about being afraid of God? No. But you are in fear of God, respecting Him, giving Him what is due. So if you don't want to be afraid anymore, that's how you do it. Summarized this way. If you don't want to live being afraid of God, then simply work on not trying to justify yourself with your own strength and your own opinions. And if you do that, and allow God to make you right, justify yourself through God and His Word, you'll live a life of fear, but not a life of afraid. It would really be sad, I think, to be a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 
to go to your deathbed and know you're going to die. And your last thoughts are, oh, I'm just so afraid of what's on the other side. How can a person be at peace? How can you be calm? How can you be confident if all you do is think about being afraid of God? No, let's fear Him, respect Him, honor Him. Let Him be in charge. And when He's in charge, I don't have to be afraid. Like the disciples in the boat, He was asleep. He wasn't afraid. They were afraid. But he was right there. Sometimes I think we're like them. Sometimes I think we're like those disciples. Jesus was right there in the boat. But they were afraid. God is right here. But sometimes we're still afraid. All we got to do is reach out in fear and respect. And let him do in us and with us what he will. Can we help you tonight? Our shepherds are willing to help if you'll let us know as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.